Welcome back to Locked On Gamecocks. Matt Smith here with you. And even though we don't have live events to cover, we do have plenty of news in the news cycle for Gamecock fans. There's a commitment, a quarterback commitment for South Carolina we'll get to in just a moment. But maybe as importantly, I like to track some of the former Gamecocks, track them throughout their NFL careers. And Hayden Hurst is going to have a new home Uh, He was doing so well with the Baltimore Ravens, but for a couple of different reasons, uh, one of which was the Atlanta Falcons needed uh, to get Matt Ryan another receiving tight end, somebody that could uh, work the middle of the field because Austin Hooper left the team. So now the Falcons have acquired Hayden Hurst and a 2024th round pick from an NFL draft that's still going on, but uh, almost certainly without any spectators. Uh, and, the, and the Ravens get a 2022nd round pick and a 5th round pick. I think that's a win for the Falcons. But to be fair to Hayden Hurst's value to the Ravens, they do have other tight ends that could step up uh, and produce for them. So they were kind of tight end rich, so they didn't have a lot of leverage there. And the Falcons got precisely what they needed for Matt Ryan. I think Hayden Hurst is going to have a great season. I think once Matt Ryan sees what Hayden Hurst can do, working the middle of the field, those soft hands, uh, the mismatch he presents for linebackers and safeties, even at the NFL level uh, in the NFC South, which is going to be fascinating next season. And I think Hayden Hurst is going to be a big part of it. And we'll see him plenty. Uh, as the Falcons and the Panthers play plenty on television, uh, we'll see. We'll catch some Falcons Saints games probably here in South Carolina. So, uh, and then you got Falcons Buccaneers. Now that Tom Brady is in the NFC South, you know they're going to be on television plenty. Probably Monday Night Football as well. So, look at those matchups. Matt Ryan, former MVP, now throwing to a former Gamecock. Hayden Hurst, and uh, the NFC South is going to be fun. And Hayden Hurst is going to be kind of a part of that. Uh, Royal Rumble uh, down there. Also, another guy I like to track, Brandon Shell. Um, the Seahawks have, agree- have reached an agreement on a two-year, $11 million deal with Brandon Shell. We didn't get to see him play because he was with the Jets. And even though that's the number one media market in the United States, the Jets are kind of like, I don't know, the Nets and the Mets. Uh, they don't get the coverage that the Yankees and the Giants do. Uh, and the Knicks. So there's Brandon Shell, $11 million deal. So now Shell will be in Seattle. We won't see him on TV that much, but maybe, just maybe, Jadavian Clowney resigns with Seattle. And then, you know, when the Seahawks do come on, uh, there's a chance whenever, you know, whoever has the ball that you're watching a couple of former Gamecocks. So that's fun. Now, on to the commitment for South Carolina. Another quarterback, Colton Gauthier who's a pro-style QB, good size, 6'3", 205. Uh, He's going to come in with the class of 2021. South Carolina pretty quarterback heavy right now. Um, You know, Mike Bobo has some options. Now, obviously, Gauthier won't come in until next season, but right now it's going to be a – the the QB room is starting to get a little bit crowded, which uh, is good news. You know, Bobo is going to have some options. We'll see who suits him the best. Uh, now, Gauthier out of Dakua, Georgia, was offered last year. So Dan Warner liked him and was recruiting him. And then when Mike Bobo was hired, he saw the film and he picked up the recruiting. So he and Muschamp were in lockstep there. They really liked Gauthier, what they saw. Now, 
Some services have him as a three-star, others as a four-star, and we won't pay too much attention to that because I think we all can agree that that sometimes uh, players can outperform that star ranking, and and just because you're a four-star or a five-star doesn't mean you're an automatic in the SEC, but... Uh, if you look at some of the other teams that were recruiting him, like Florida State and Ole Miss and UCF, they've had a lot of success with quarterback play. Uh, he also had offers from BC, Duke, Virginia Tech, Colorado, Michigan State, Arkansas, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisville, Miami, Georgia Tech, and Indiana. So highly sought after. The ones at the top of that list, kind of Florida State and, and Ole Miss, um, and that's good to look at. I think that, that when South Carolina – you know, when, when they have the same evaluation as as programs like Florida State and Ole Miss and UCF in terms of a quarterback, you know, usually there's something to the kit. doesn't mean it'll work out, but I think you're looking at somebody that uh, a lot of teams wanted, and he chose South Carolina. He's, he's made five unofficial visits to South Carolina. He's met with Coach Bobo now, uh, which is great. Um, so Bobo likes him, liked the film. Like Colton Gaithier as a kid, they they extended the offer, kept the offer there, and Gauthier liked the Gamecocks of all those teams I mentioned. He liked the Gamecocks program the best. So, third commitment now for the Gamecocks 20, uh, 21 class. Five members in total with two specialists coming in from the 2020 recruiting season. So, another quarterback, and it's somebody that we'll track this year uh, when football gets cracked back up in his senior season, and uh, we'll watch his film, evaluate it for you, and, and talk to you about it here on Locked on Gamecocks. Now, coming up in our next segment, Alex Smith, Fox Sports Spartanburg, joining us to discuss what he's been doing in lieu of covering live events, which of Will Muschamp's players could have benefited from a full spring, and how Dawn Staley's team should be honored, remembered, and potentially crowned. That's coming up next. It's Black Garnet and Daily Locked On Gamecocks here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Alex Smith joining us now. This is Locked On Gamecocks and Alex from Fox Sports Spartanburg, and we'll talk. Gamecocks, and we will talk whatever is happening because coronavirus has uh, shut us down. Now, that means, Alex, you missed your favorite holiday is what that means. That does. That is, that is one thing. I was very disappointed uh, spending St. Patrick's Day pretty much uh, just away from the rest of the population. There is something Irish, though, about sitting alone drinking, right? There, there. Yes, that, that is one of the most Irish things you can possibly do. <laughs> Stay out of the sun and enjoy yourself again in, in, a, in a cold, dark room. All right, let, let, we'll talk Gamecock football. So when this first started, and you can tell me what kind of emotions you went through, I was, I guess I was so optimistic. I thought, oh, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, let's take all these measures. And then I thought, but we'll still, you know, probably have a spring game. These guys will get back, or they'll adjust the calendar so they can start working out in June instead. And now, that's all gone. So, how did it? Of course, I was at the uh, I was at the ACC basketball tournament covering something, and it's like it was all happening, and I almost didn't believe it was happening. So, what were you what were you thinking when you started to see all the cancellations? Gamecock baseball, Gamecock spring practice, everything. Just the, Dawn Staley's chance to win a national title, all going away. It was obviously a little bit shocking. I'm with you where it, at first you felt like maybe they would just take an extended spring break 
everybody would come come back. Everything would just be pushed back a week or two and everything would be back on schedule. Uh, but the way that the NCAA made the decision to go ahead and cancel the remainder of, of softball and baseball and the rest of spring sports and hold no winter championships, that was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, as someone else, you know, obviously who works in the sports industry, uh, it, you know, it's it's a financial hit to so many people that rely on these games, college or high school or whatever it may be, uh, to make a living. So it was obviously a big surprise to me. I thought it would just be a couple of weeks. It looks like it's going to be much, much longer. Uh, but safety first. You know, you got to you got to accept that this is the right decision. You don't want it to spread. You want to you want to shut this thing down as quick as possible. I, I felt like maybe co- uh, canceling the College World Series and the baseball softball playoffs was looking a bit too far ahead. Uh, but when it comes to the safety of the players and the students, you, you can't fault them for erring on the side of safety. Well, well, let's talk baseball for a second. You know, obviously South Carolina, they lost two of three to Northwestern, lost two of three to Clemson. But overall, they were having a nice season. And now this throws everything into flux because now you've got guys, especially in baseball, that will be eligible for the draft that South Carolina fans might miss out on. How good did you think South Carolina baseball was? What kind of year did you think they were going to have? And I guess big picture, do you think in a weird way this might help Mark Kingston or maybe hurt him because he he was going to have a successful year and kind of get to put that on his resume and now he won't have it? Yeah, for me, they looked like they were a, a fringe tournament team leaning towards the side of making the tournament. Of course, it's always tough to tell because they hadn't really got into SEC play yet. And SEC, the best baseball conference, really without a doubt, eight or nine teams ranked in the top 25. So it would have been nice to get them into conference play and kind of see what they held, how they held up against those really top-tier teams in the country. But I think South Carolina was kind of right on the path that I had projected for them, looking somewhere in the range of 35 wins, looking right there as a bubble team. I probably, you know, if they were able to to get some big wins over a few, you know, high-ranked teams in the SEC, would have had them probably in as a three-seed. This is very – it's a very peculiar situation because the, you mentioned the guys that are draft el- eligible – what about guys that were planning on coming from JUCO? Are they going back to JUCO? Are they still coming to South Carolina? It, giving everybody an, an, an extra year of eligibility could be really confusing. And, and I don't know how many players South Carolina had. You know, obviously, they've always got a handful that are drafted, but how high are they going to be drafted? And now with no season, no other season of film or anything like that for the scouts to look at, I, I mean, do we even know anything about Cape Cod or Summer League Baseball for these guys? It's really interesting. I think it possibly may help Kingston. I think a few guys may come back that were going to leave probably at the end of this season, and I think it's going to end up helping the Gamecocks. Some teams up at the very, very top that you see, you know, the Floridas and the LSUs and the, and the teams battling for number one in the country, Vanderbilt, it may end up hurting them. They may have to turn away some guys coming out of high school that will instead sign with a major league team. So I think South Carolina may benefit from this a little bit, more so at least than most other teams in the SEC. And, and that's what's interesting is the information coming out. And I, you and I are on the same page in, in, like, in terms of I want what's best for the players. And I think we all agree that – Whatever needs to be done to expand scholarships or elongate people's careers to, to make up for this, that would be great. That's great in theory. Everybody applauds. Well, where where do the scholarships go? What 
do you do in terms of the money? Who pays for it? The school just – you just give South Carolina baseball, all of a sudden gets 15 scholarships, and they just have to pay extra. Does the entire United States of senior high school baseball players just take a gap year? They all backpack through Europe for a year and just come back <laughs> like it never happened. I mean, it's it's confusing. And, and further, you know, I've heard I've heard people say, well, you know, maybe the, the government could help. And, and almost, not the government in terms of – uh, almost like a governing body. Like, what if what if the NCAA took its money and kind of pitched it out to everybody? But does everybody get the same? Because Presbyterian College and Charleston Southern are going to need more than Clemson or need a different something different than Clemson and South Carolina. It's a very strange circumstance. I almost think they they maybe shouldn't have said it at all yet until they had a better idea of what they were going to do. Yeah, you're exactly right, and and honestly. I mean, I would look to and for the schools, you mentioned some of the smaller schools, how this could be difficult for them. I mean, to to pay for all these extra scholarships is tuition going up for every student Are are coaches taking a pay cut. How exactly are they going to do this financially? It's very interesting to see how this is going to play out. Now, if somebody wants a six year red shirt, they don't get it this time. All right. They, they don't get it. Right, that would be yeah, that would be a seventh year. And again, we're in favor of everybody getting to play the play into their eligibility. Um, but it's very, very confusing as to how it can be done. You know how you can kind of unring that bell if you're the NCAA and fix this. But again, we want whatever is whatever is best for the coaches and the players because they are the ones. Uh, that were the most affect- directly affected by this. I mean, people obviously, this, we're talking about a health issue, but meaning in our world, people that cover it, most importantly, what happens to the players and the coaches. And like you said, I mean, look, this is the Locked on Gamecocks podcast, but if this were kind of Locked on Smallage, uh, Small College podcast, you'd have to have real concern over the budgets for those colleges, right? Yeah, most certainly. Uh, I think this may be a situation where, uh, the conference steps in and make sure to make sure that each school, you know, it's allocated kind of evenly. I, this is going to be really interesting to see how these decisions are made and how long they're going to take to make these decisions. Because, you know, they, as we mentioned, they already they jumped the gun kind and said, all right, well, everybody's going to get another year of eligibility that was a spring sport athlete. And everybody's like, yes, great idea. How do we pay for it? Much, much like politics. Everybody's like, that is a brilliant idea. Now we have to figure out how exactly we can afford to do this. Well, and I, I know how you feel about this. The world seems to be behind the idea that Don Staley and Leah Boston and, and Kiki, that they were going to win the national championship. Now, Oregon would have been the, the toughest challenger there. But now, knowing what we know, as you said, serious circumstance. So the argument is not that it should have gone on. The argument is... Do you give South Carolina anything? I mean, they'd already won the SEC tournament, so they and they were going to be the top overall seed. I suppose you could give them that. But would you be in favor of either the NCAA or the university almost awarding them something without earning it? Almost like, well, you have to, you have to do it the old football way and just vote yeah. off, off the resume? Or do you say, just leave it alone, you can have your parade, but the NCAA or the university doesn't need to actually recognize it? Where, where, how do you feel like this team should be recognized or awarded, if not with a championship, just with whatever, a, a pizza party at the end of this? <laughs> yeah, they deserve something. As you mentioned, you know, everybody, they were the overwhelming favorite. They'd already knocked off, I believe, 
three or four teams in the top 10 of the women's college basketball poll. I don't think you can necessarily give them a championship, you know, celebrate the SEC regular season, the SEC tournament, celebrate those championships, but a banner saying we were the number one ranked team at the end of the season and a celebration. I think that's most certainly earned. You don't necessarily call them national champions because the, the college basketball tournament is so exciting and very rarely, unless it was UConn for all those years, does the number one overall seed actually win. Uh, so I, I think a banner, a celebration of the players, because this is a collection of talent that even as great as South Carolina has been in the last 10 seasons, this this seems like it was a step above anything we've seen before. Yeah, and I, I, I covered this team at the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament in Greenville, and the opposing coaches, the coach for Arkansas said, oh, this is the best team I've ever seen. This is They have no flaws, and Dawn's going to come in here and say they do, but they don't. <laughs> yeah, she's going to nitpick. She's like, well, we only shot 60% on threes today. We really got some work to do. I, I do wonder, is, is this almost – is this going to be so curious – that they will now be recognized in, a, in almost a unique way that they'll make all those lists of the best teams to not win a championship, that they might even be better remembered by being the best team and one of the best teams of all time and to not be able to to crown themselves at the end of the year. I wonder how history will look back on this season for them. Yeah, that's a very interesting point because, as I mentioned, I mean, this is – one of the best women's basketball teams I've ever seen, and that's including when UConn won over 100 straight games. Just the way that they can beat you on so many different levels, defensively, offensively, the way they work as a team, the way they gel under Coach Staley, it's it's really amazing. I, I, I'm going to put them right up there with the 94 Expos as a team, I think, that probably would have won well, it all. But you can't quite crown them champions. You didn't have the actual playoff f- format. So, uh, But this is a, a team that's going to be remembered long in, in South Carolina lore because with so much heartbreak for Gamecock fans, for probably the greatest team as far as team sports go in the history of the school, I mean, you could argue, argue – the baseball title teams, but I mean, this team was dominant on a level South Carolina athletics has never seen. And again, like a, like a punch punch to the gut, no trophy to bring home. Locked on Gamecocks. Great thoughts there from Alex on Don Staley's team. We'll talk a little more football here in our final segment uh, with Alex Smith, Fox Sports Spartanburg. And don't forget, I know that everybody's lives have been upended a little bit, that you can listen to the Locked On Podcast Network and us here at Locked On Gamecocks on Alexa and your Google Home devices. Uh, So wherever you are, we travel with you. Uh, Don't forget about that. And I'd also encourage you to check out Locked On SEC right now. Fascinating stuff over there at that pod. And you can always just go to LockedOnPodcast.com and uh, surf around. Maybe you check out the Falcons pod now that they do have Hayden Hurst and see their reaction to uh, to adding that receiving tight end threat there. They've lost Austin Hooper. They pick up Hayden Hurst. What's the reaction from the Falcons side? You can check that out at Locked On Falcons uh, on the Locked On Podcast Network. Now, let's finish up here with Alex, Fox Sports Spartanburg, and we'll dig into the Gamecocks depth chart a little bit, especially at quarterback. Luke Doty won't get a full spring, but now neither will incumbent Ryan Holinsky. 
and will transfer Colin Hill, who was originally from Dorman High School, school, went off to Colorado State with Mike Bobo, started some games there. He's the most familiar with Mike Bobo and the concepts and that playbook and the expectations from Coach Bobo. Will he be considered for QB1? You know, this really hurts Will Muschamp. You know, I was thinking, uh, Alex, it might hurt. Take Consider this. How about Mike Leach at Mississippi State? who mm. was trying to implement a new offense. And what about Mike Norvell at Florida State, who uh, just a brand new coach, just meeting the guys. And then the plug is pulled on the spring game and spring practice and all those things. So I, now South Carolina has Mike Bobo, but they did get nine days of practice in. So how do you assess, I guess, if you look at the whole landscape of college football, how do you, and, and South Carolina does have a returning quarterback in Ryan Helensky. So, of teams that are hurt by this, maybe scale of 1 to 10, where does South Carolina fall on that list? How much they're hurt compared to their opponents and teams across the country? Uh, I think they're probably closer to a 7 or 8. I think this is really going to hurt South Carolina because when you look at them on the offensive side of the ball, Ryan Helensky, all he did last year was really throw to Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards is gone. Who's going to be the next receiver to step up? Can Shai Smith fill those shoes? Can Xavier Leggett, can one of the other guys, can Ortre Smith actually be healthy? Can he make it through a whole spring healthy? Defensively, Javon Kinlaw is gone. Is Zach Pickens ready to kind of be the next star defensive lineman for South Carolina. It feels like they've had an NFL prospect on the defensive line every year since John Abraham. Can he be that guy? The secondary, J.C. Horn and Israel McQuamu showed flashes of brilliance last year. Can they do that on a consistent basis? You know, the new guys, Marshawn Lloyd and Luke Doty, really needed to get some reps in, especially with a new offensive coordinator. I think South Carolina, this is definitely going to hurt them in my eyes. Some other teams, obviously, when you look around the conference, you know, replacing guys like Tua and Joe Burrow, those teams are most certainly going to have their problems. Mike Leach with his new offense, you know, trying to get that going down there. Honestly, if you had the NCAA video game, these guys could sit in the dorm and at least look at the playbooks and, and get some action that way. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I wonder what they can get done. And, I, you know, that's an interesting point about Luke Doty, because obviously you're like the rest of us. You didn't really see him. We heard what the coaches said, but you, you knew about Luke Doty in high school and you saw Ryan Alinsky last season. Were you under the pr- impression this was a real race or were you giving it to Halinsky unless you saw something absolutely uh, earth shattering from Luke Doty, like in the spring game or something you could see with your eyes. I think this was a situation where it was Helensky's job to lose. If Helensky was healthy, I, I think he's a much different quarterback than he was last year. I think both the play calling and really his ability towards the end of the season were all dependent on what he could do athletically. I think if he's fully healthy, he's a little bit better of a quarterback. It, it w- I mean, if Doty came in and lit it up, you know, you'd have to give him a look. But with everything Holinsky went through last year, getting, you know, beat down and, and playing through all the injuries and, and a losing season, I think that really built some character. I would be surprised if Doty doesn't redshirt and they kind of create a little separation between those two quarterbacks. 
Uh, you know, he, he did show. He certainly showed some toughness last season. All right, how about this though? What about Colin Hill? Because now the idea was, well, with the spring, you know, everybody's going to kind of catch up to Colin Hill in terms of what he knows from Mike Bobo. He came in with Bobo. He's an old Dorman High School guy. Go Cavs! That's right. Now is Colin Hill all of a sudden maybe a factor in the race because Helensky didn't get to work but nine practices that he won't get to work. So maybe the the difference between the knowledge and what Mike Bobo is looking for, maybe Colin Hill gets right back in the race. I mean, he may have always been in the race, but I, I think most of us believed without having the spring that was truly going to hurt Hill because he's, he came in with an knee injury. But now he's kind of flat-footed with Doty and Helensky, but he has the advantage of knowing Mike Bobo, having played for him before at Colorado State, having, having played games under him, and knowing exactly what he wants out of a quarterback. Yeah, he can most certainly make some noise and quite possibly find his way on the field. You also remember Colin Hill started very early in his career at Colorado State. He probably has as many or more starts as Helensky. So if Helensky is not healthy, if he's not 100%, I would not be surprised if Colin Hill is your starter. Granted, I think he would be more of a game manager in Mike Bobo's style of offense than, than maybe take a few more shots with Helensky. Uh, but I think he's definitely a factor. And I, that's, this is why they brought him in if everyone else isn't up to speed on this offense and what they want to do he can go out there be the the veteran leader show them what needs to be done what coach Bobo wants to be done and I think that really you know Holinsky and Doty learning from him this spring I think it's something that the Gamecocks are going to going to miss very much that's a good point. He was going to be like an assistant coach until they got it figured out. That's an excellent point. Well, finally, last thing we'll talk about. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Last season, I was talking with Ellis Johnson, longtime defensive coordinator for the Gamecocks, and of course, a longtime defensive coordinator in the SEC. And he said he thinks it is so important to have a quarterback in the SEC with mobility. Because of the pass rush and because of the athletes you're going to face in that league, he felt like it was almost a near imperative. He did not mm-hmm. call it a must, but he said a near he didn't say near imperative, but I'm I'm going to I'm going to put words in the great Ellis Johnson's mouth here and say a near imperative that you have mobility at the quarterback position. I don't think I've asked you this before, but what now you see Mike Bobo, you see these guys, these players, Luke Doty, Ryan Helensky, Colin Hill. Do you think, what, what do you think in terms of mobility, South Carolina, Mike Bobo's new offense, do they need it? Uh, they need it to escape pressure. They don't need it necessarily to, for rushing yards. They've got to have mobility in the pocket. One For one, South Carolina's offensive line has not proven that they can consistently block teams such as Georgia or Florida or an Alabama or anybody like that. I, I think it is something – South Carolina needs because of the lack of talent really along the front line. They don't, they need it to extend plays. And again, this goes back to missing spring practice with these, this new group of receivers, Shai Smith, and then everybody else with very little experience. The scramble drill, when, when Helensky does get on the move because he has to tuck in and roll out of the pocket, where do the receivers go? Do they know which side he likes to roll to? Do they know a spot on the field that he likes to throw to when he's flushed out of the pocket? I think it is imperative to have some mobility. You don't have to be Vince Young. You don't have to be Michael Vick. But you can't be Drew Bledsoe in today's game, especially in the SEC. 